There once was a man who was climbing a steep mountain. And on his way to the summit is when he began to slip. Unable to stop himself, he slid back down the treacherous incline toward a cliff that plunged a thousand feet to the canyon floor. He was sure he would be killed, but just as he was about to go over the edge, he threw up his hands and managed to catch a small branch. There he hung. He had saved himself, but he could not get back onto the incline, and he knew it was just a matter of time until his grip loosened and he fell. He was not a very religious man, but this was obviously time to become one, if ever. So he looked up to heaven and called out, is there anyone up there who can help me? He did not expect an answer. So he was greatly surprised when a deep voice came back saying, yes, I am here and I can help you. But first, you are going to have to let go of that branch. A long pause. And the man looked up, out again. Is there anyone else up there who can help me? <laughs> he didn't want that help. We are like that man. We don't want help from the only one who can help us. The God of the Bible, the creator of the world, is worthy of our trust. And it is my goal this morning that the clear teaching of his word and the power of the Holy Spirit will convince you that the Lord our God is worthy of your trust and that you'll, you will trust him this morning. Let us read the book of Genesis, chapter 1. And though in the bulletin and everywhere else it may say verses 1 to 23, I'm just taking verses 1 to 3. And that wasn't the person that put the bullets in together. That was uh, me, late night. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Let's pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forever and ever. Amen. So here we are again, Pastor Bissett is going through a series of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. I believe the last time we were there, we were at 2nd Corinthians 9. So when he's out and I preach, I'm going through a series myself. Um, you probably don't remember, it was back in February 27th. But I'm going through lessons in the wilderness. I'm looking at the first couple of chapters in Genesis. And we learned last time that Moses wrote this just before the children of Israel was entering into the promised land. 
and wanted to teach them some lessons. The children of Israel were delivered out of the hand of Pharaoh in Exodus. They were taken into the wilderness and Moses wrote this account to wash their minds with the truth of God's word. The Israelites were going to enter into the land of Canaan, but they were leaving the only culture they knew. They needed to know the creator of the universe so they could turn away from the Egyptian gods and put their trust in the God revealed in scripture. Let's look at verse 1. Now don't get nervous, I'm going to tell you up front, I'm going to spend the majority of time on verse 1. So when an hour and 20 minutes have passed and we're still on verse 1, don't panic. I'm going to be coming in and closing in real soon after that. In the beginning, God. The Bible begins with these words. Oftentimes we overlook these profound yet simple words. But I want us to slow down this morning and understand the meaning and implication of these four words in the beginning, God. I just want to remind you that Moses wrote the Torah to teach lessons to the children of Israel before they entered the promised land. The Torah is the first five books. Again, the children of Israel came from Egypt. Just a little, bear with me, just a little historical background here. Egypt's creation myth starts with Atum. Sounds like Adam. I don't know. Atum. Atum created himself out of Nun, N-U-N. Now, Nun was a personification of the four principles or four gods, hiddenness and water and darkness and light. Atum created himself out of Nun, N-U-N, by uttering his name. Now, if you're adults, you can put that together and know what he's talking about. But Moses taught them in the beginning, God. See, there are several things that these four words don't communicate. If you've heard me preach before, you know I like to talk about what is not and then what is. It doesn't communicate that we should waste time speculating about what God was doing before he created the heavens and the earth. The reformer Martin Luther said, even if we engage in endless speculation and debate, these matters nevertheless remain outside of our comprehension. Our mind cannot grasp what lies outside time. It is folly to argue much about God outside and before time because this is an effort to understand the Godhead without a covering. Martin Luther's quote. So if we can't understand it, then what should we do? Well, we should accept the simple, clear meaning of, in the beginning, God. Otherwise, we can conclude that God was bored or lonely. And this is why he created heaven and earth. Well, this kind of teaching or believing would lead us to produce heretical songs that say, what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. You didn't want for heaven without us, so Jesus brought heaven down. Yes, the name of Jesus is beautiful, but nowhere in the Bible does it even imply that God is bored. It doesn't show up anywhere in Holy Scripture that God is lonely. Not wanting heaven without us implies that God is lonely and he needs our company. It was Egypt's creation myth that included four gods. 
But God created heaven and earth for his glory, not because he was lonely or needed company of gods or humans. These words communicate to us, before there was matter, God existed. I know that some of you are saying, what is this? Is this a science class? No, this is the Bible. Too many of us think that before God existed, the universe was already in place. And if God was before the beginning of creation, that means God is self-existent. The first word in the Hebrew is translated create, a verb. According to Kyle and Dalich, or Dalich, I'll figure out how to pronounce it. I think they're German, though. Commentary, this verb stem always means to create something applied to divine creation. The production of that which has no existence before. So the world was not in existence before God, neither did it come into, the, into being at the same time as God. Before time began, God existed. Genesis is the book of origin, but God has no origin. He is self-existent, so he is answerable to no one. Some of you out there are parents. If you are a father or a mother, you know that it's wise to have a standard answer when you have young children. They often ask you for something or to do something. There's always the real possibility of parent splitting. You know what that is, don't you? That's when you know mom is going to say no because she knows what you just did. And you go ask dad. Or you see you're sitting with dad and you do something disobedient and you go and you sneak in the room and ask mom. That's always a possibility. So they have to be real wise. The wise father has to check with the mother and the wise mother has to check with the father and say something like, we'll let you know, I'll let you know. Because we have to check with our spouse to get on the same page to make sure we are parenting as a unified unit. A child that the father doesn't check, a, a child hopes that the father doesn't check with the mother and the mother doesn't check with the father. But those parents have to stay united because they will ultimately be responsible to God. We have to answer to God. But God... He answers to no one. See, this is good news for the believer. Why do we go to people when we need something? Why do we appeal, manipulate, or beg others to help us? That person didn't exist before time began. That person didn't create everything he sees and everything that is invisible. We have a father that created the universe and created our heart. He created your heart. He knows your name. He knows your every thought. Why don't we go to him for help? Go to the Father for help. Our creator knows, knows us better than anyone else. He knows my name. He knows a nickname for me. He knows King Selfish. He knows Prince Impetuous. He knows Brian, the son of thunder. But he created me. He created you. He is the potter and we are the clay. Doesn't the potter know inside and out what he created? 
Doesn't he know that what he created has a scratch on the left side? Doesn't he know that it's higher at the top, so it's thinner and not as durable as the bottom? Doesn't he know because he applied the pressure? Doesn't he know that there's a pinhole in the bottom? Doesn't he know those things? He knows us just as well. We have to go to him for help. Call on him. He needs to consult no one. When he gives us an answer, no one will overturn it. He sees each tear that falls, but he still hears us. Hears us. Hears me every time we call. You may be here and depressed, but we can go to God who existed before the foundation of the world. For the lack of answer prayer, he can handle that. Go to the creator who knows your name. Another thing that these four words don't communicate is that we can fully know God. Unlike the Egyptian God, Atun, which we know everything there is to know about him, the God revealed in scripture is never fully known by his creation. There is a theologian by the name of John Frame, who was quoting Thomas Aquinas, and he says in his, uh, in his uh, The Doctrine of God, page 203, we cannot in this life know God by his essence, that divine substance that surpasses every form that our intellect reaches. God's essence is infinitely knowable, and no created intellect can know God infinitely. We will be able to know the essence of God in the heavenly consummation, but then only by God's gracious illumination, and even then, not exhaustively. Isn't this taught in scripture? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not appear what it shall be, but when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. How many of us are longing for that day? Do you have this hope in you, this assurance that you will see Jesus one day face to face? The Bible says that whoever has this hope in himself purifieth himself, even as he is pure. We grow in holiness when we look to our future hope in Christ. We have another theologian. He's newer than uh, Thomas Aquinas. His name is Sinclair Ferguson. He wrote a book devoted to God. He says, our growth in holiness is intimately related to how we view the future and how firm a grip we have on the reality of the world to come and our destiny in it. We can't get a firm grip on this reality if we don't spend time thinking about this truth. Think often about one day we will see him. The more we think about this, the more we'll be ready to meet him. Take some time today, the Lord's day, to fan that flame. Spend a few minutes today, maybe a half an hour, to wonder in the amazing grace of God that would take a sinner such as you and me and bring them into the presence of a holy God. What a wonder that will be. What mercy, God's mercy is everlasting to everlasting. Don't waste the Lord's day today. 
Purify yourselves today by thinking about how one day you will see him as he is. God is self-existent. He's the self-existent one. Not only does he not have to answer to anyone, he is in himself unknowable. How is God unknowable? We know things because we receive information from our five senses. We touch, we taste, we hear, we smell, and we feel. All of these senses were created by God. Even if we had a sixth sense, you know, sixth sense. I know, I might be dating myself. They don't even use that term anymore. But even if we had a sixth sense, it would still be a gift that was given from God. So how could we use the gifts given by God to understand the one who created you with the gifts? Since God is self-existent, he has no needs and depends on no one. Now Jesus told his disciples to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, holy be thy name. God is holy. He is different than we are. This is one way God is different than we are. We are dependent on a myriad of things. We need oxygen, for example. If we run out of oxygen, even for a few minutes, we will die. We are dependent on light and heat. We are dependent on water and laws of nature. If these things cease to exist, we cease to exist. But this is not true for God. He is holy. If all these things pass away today, oxygen, water, light, heat, or gravity, God will still exist. God needs nothing. He doesn't even need us. He doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need our obedience. And he doesn't need our love. But yet God chose to include us in his family. But there was a gulf that existed between a holy God and a sinful man. And that gulf was bridged together by his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way we can have fellowship with the holy God is through his son, Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There's no other name under heaven and earth whereby men may be saved. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And that name is Lord. And Jesus was given this name, Lord. And it was above any other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is what? Jesus is Lord. The name above every name. To the glory of God the Father, if anyone can save you from death, sin, devil, or yourself, surely the self-existent one can. If you are here and you have been wondering why we enjoy this place so much, even in the rain and the snow, we are here. Sunday after Sunday, it's because our hearts have been changed by the God of the Bible, the one that existed before the foundation of the world. And he has commended or commanded his people to worship him on the Lord's day. And his commandments are not burdensome to us. We delight in his law. And your heart can be changed by God of the Bible. Just call upon him. The Bible states, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If the Holy Spirit is working 
in your heart right now, call out to the God of the heaven and earth. Or the God who created the heavens and the earth. God does not need anyone. And he has all he needs. God is sufficient. We can rest in an all-sufficient God. The world is not eternal, but created by God. God is eternal, and he is eternal. That means that he's always existed. God created the heaven and the earth without causing change to himself. He did not come together with a goddess to create the world. No, no change with God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God will never change. In the Baptist Catechism, question seven, it says, what is God? The answer, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. God is holy and will always be holy. He is unchangeable. His position towards sin is the same as it's always been. God will punish sin. He must because he is holy. God is outside of time, so his presence is inescapable. So we cannot escape him. David said, where can I go from your presence? If I ascend up into a heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. There is no escape from our holy God. If you are a believer living in sin, repent and run to the Father. If you've never given your life to the Lord, you can call out to him in faith and he will hear your cry. John Stott comments on Genesis 1. He states the first four words of the Bible are more than an introduction to the creation story or to the book of Genesis. They supply the key which opens our understanding to the Bible as a whole. And his quote goes on to say, they tell us that the religion of the Bible is a religion of the initiative of God. And the next implication of the end the beginning God is that God took initiative, create the world as we know it. God is the initiator in creation and in our salvation. No man seeks after God. All have sinned and fall short of the mark. We are dead in our sins and trespasses. We, like Lazarus, were dead and could not contribute to our salvation. We were dead. Only the electing voice of God awakens us from our slumber and makes us alive in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. The rest of the verse, God created the heavens and the earth. It speaks of a specific nature of God's creation. God didn't just create anything and everything. Like, okay, let me just create everything and everything. He created the heavens and the earth. Those are the objections, objects of, of his creation. This can be considered a representation of things that are seen and unseen. The heavens are not seen by our naked eye. Hebrews 11 states that through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which do appear. So like those Israelites, Moses encourages us to put our faith in God who created the heavens and the earth. Don't be like the pagans of the first century or the Egyptians during the time of Exodus. Put your faith in the God of the Bible. 
the creator of heaven and earth, in a world filled with complicated and convoluted stories about how gods created heavens and the imaginative stories about how the earth created itself, trust the simple teaching in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is where we draw the line. Parents, you say, I don't know a lot of Bible. I can't really teach my children the Bible. Just read this four times in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Because if we lose that, if we don't believe the first words in the Bible, how can we claim to believe any parts of the Bible? This is where the battle is. If we lose this battle, we lose the war. If you don't believe that God created in the heavens and the earth, how can you turn to the New Testament and believe that Christ has been raised from the dead? And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then my preaching is in vain. That's old languages. My preaching is garbage. It's a waste of time. Pack up. Go home and watch your TV. Don't listen to me. Because what would be the point? And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. This is it, saints. If we lose the battle right here, we lose everything. We must stand in faith and declare that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Put your faith in the one who created the heavens and the earth. Before we leave these four simple words, I want to make a plea that you try to memorize these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I checked most of the versions. They all pretty much sound the same. Even the NIV sounds pretty much the same. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a great place to start. There is a Puritan by the name of Richard Sibbs. And in his volume one, he writes, What will not the word of the king do? If a man be mighty and great, his word is answerable. This is the reason why we should make much of the word of God, because it is the word of Yahweh, a mighty creator. And in every promise, single out that which best suiteth with thy present condition. A believer may cast himself boldly into the arms of the Almighty and go to him in any distress as to a faithful creator that will not forsake him. The first verse or sentence in scripture is a declarative statement, but it be, can be used as a faith builder. When situation look, look, looks hopeless, we must remind ourselves that God created the heavens and the earth. Is there anything too difficult for God? Nothing is too difficult for thee. Nothing is too difficult for thee, great and mighty God, great in counsel, mighty indeed, mighty indeed. Sing with me if you know the song. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing is too difficult for thee. Not only did God create the world, 
But verse 2 says that the earth was void and without form. God created something good out of chaos. God can create order in the midst of chaos. You have a season of chaos right now in your life? Give it to God who created something good out of chaos. Not only did God create the heavens and the earth, but by his spirit he made something good that was formerly chaotic. This is a God you can trust. Put your faith in this God today. Praise God with me. I'm not going to sing again. I'll just say it. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. God spoke his word and created something good out of something chaotic. And God can take his truth and plant it deep in us and shape and fashion us into his likeness. But we must call out to him and put our trust in him. Our last verse that we're looking at today, verse 3, reads, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. First, let us notice that God created light before he created the sun and the moon. Oh, I know where I'm going. I didn't forget. But oftentimes, the preacher keeps talking and talking and talking and doesn't, does not give you time to think about the point that was just made. God created light before he created the sun and the moon. God makes a distinction that he created light independent from the sun. Our wicked heart wants to always invert the created order. We want to use the things that God created to explain and understand God. But we can't use the creature to understand the creator. We have evidence of this because there are so many religions that worship the sun. They try to convince us that once the sun is destroyed, we will die in darkness. But those who walk by faith and not by sight know that even if heaven and earth pass away, God still remains. In the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, 23, it reads, And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated it. And its lamp is the Lamb. L-A-B. L-A-M-B. The next day he saw Jesus coming and he said, and he said, coming to him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This Lamb was the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us, and they saw his glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Our Deacon Chad read that. This word was in the beginning, and all things came into being through him, and in him was life, and the life was the light of men. God said, let there be light. This light was the true light, which enlightens every man. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. 
But as many as received him, to them he, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. The true light is here. We must put our trust in him if we're going to see Jesus face to face one day. The alternative is to spend eternity apart from God. Those who put their faith in God of the Bible will receive his son. And whoever knows God knows his son and believes that God has sent his only begotten son into this world that they may be saved through him. The man that fell over the edge of the mountain asked, is there anybody else up there to help me? There's no one else. There's only one God and one who was in the beginning and who shall ever be. But he's able to help. More than that, he is willing to help. He has taken initiative and sent his lamb to take away the sins of the world. So, I end as I started. Put your faith in him, the God that created the heavens and the earth. Put your faith in him this morning. Let's pray. Glorious Father, you are our rock, our fortress, and our might. You, Lord, our captain in a well-fought fight. You, in the darkness drear, one true light. O oh Lord, you are our incomprehensible but prayer-hearing God. Our covenant God. All your promises in Christ Jesus are yea and amen. And all shall be fulfilled. You have spoken them and they shall be done. Commanded and they shall come to pass. Yet we have doubted you and lived our lives as though there was no God. You are known but beyond knowledge, revealed but unrevealed. Our wants and welfare draw us to you. O oh God, attend us in every part of our arduous and trying pilgrimage. We need the same counsel, defense, comfort we found at our beginning. Let our faith be more obvious to our conscience, more perceptible to those around us. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Jesus, while you are representing us in heaven, may we reflect you on earth. While you plead my cause and our cause, may we show forth your praise. You have led us, and we have found thy promise true. We have been sorrowful, but you have been our help. Fearful, but you have delivered us. Despairing, but you have lifted us up. Your words of assurance are ever before us, and we praise you, O God. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.